be in 1 Samuel today. If you would please turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 13. And as we have made our way through this series, through the book of 1 Samuel, and as we have gotten to this place where we are, getting close to halfway through the book, and we're here in the middle of, or rather at the beginning of Saul's reign, and Samuel has made it clear to Israel that even though they have received Saul as a king because of their, their disobedience, their rebellion against God, and their rejection of God, even though that has taken place, he has revealed God as a God of grace. And he has called them to renew their covenant with God. And if they, will, if they and their king will commit themselves to the Lord, then he will exercise his kingdom through Saul's reign. This is what chapter 12 has told us. That even though they've rejected God, God in his grace has said that if they, Israel, and their king Saul will commit to the Lord, then he will exercise his kingdom through Saul's reign. Now that leads us to where we are in chapter 13. And we're going to read specifically in this chapter... Instead of the whole chapter, we're going to read just verses 8 through 14. And I just want to mention something at the very beginning of 13. Your Bibles may something, say something that sounds very odd there, or it may have some blanks in chapter 13, verse 1. And uh, this is because there's some confusing original language here. And it almost seems to contradict what other people say, or either people have found that things have possibly been left out of the text, or that something doesn't make sense. And so translators have gone as far as trying to add in uh, different things um, to say that Saul was 30 years old, or that he reigned for 40 years. But it, it really does seem here that the text is trying to say that Saul lived for one year when Samuel appointed him as king, he lived for one year before he was proclaimed as king. And then he ruled for two years over Israel under God's reign before he was rejected by God. And Samuel was, I mean, and um, David was anointed as king. And if you're familiar with the story of Saul and David, you'll realize that Dave, you'll remember that David was actually anointed king. And yet he was living in caves and hiding out from Saul. Saul was still king. Yet God had found um, the king that actually shared his heart, a man after God's own heart. And so this text in 13.1, uh, this is not going to have anything to do with our sermon, but I certainly didn't want to skip over something that looks confusing and um, seems to cause uh, a difficulty. And so I just wanted to mention that, uh, that in fact it is difficult. But it seems to suggest that Saul had reigned for one year, then he was proclaimed as king, or he was anointed for one year, then he was proclaimed as king, and then there were two years of his reign wherein he was under God's reign. And then uh, David was anointed king. So this does not mean that Saul did not in fact reign, as Paul says in the New Testament, for 40 years. Okay, now that I have gotten that out of the way, which I'm thankful that I have. We're going to look at 1 Samuel chapter 13, verses 8 through 14. I'd like to pray for us. Please pray with me.
Father, we thank you for the message of the gospel that is from Genesis to Revelation. That you're a God that redeems and restores, that comes down, that enters into the battle, that grants us your presence and freedom. That grants us your word, your voice, your provision. Father, we thank you that you have chosen to dwell here with us in our very church, in our community, and in our homes. We thank you that we can come to you now, all of us here together, and we can trust that you're hearing us, that you long to be with us, you long to heal us and restore us, redeem us. Father, we thank you that The gospel is here. The true gospel is here. The gospel that proclaims Christ alone as Savior, as the only hope. Father, we pray for the many in our church and the many that we are connected with that are in need of your comfort and care, peace, presence in the midst of their suffering, pain, confusion. We ask that you would pour out a special, full measure of your grace for them. Father, we specially lift up Margaret Salter to you now. Thank you that she is here. Thank you for sharing her with us, Sharon and Suzanne. Father, we pray that you would really... Uh, provide special love for her heart now. Give her peace and assurance of your kindness and grace. Father, we thank you that our prayer for Mr. Herb is so different today. Instead, we rejoice that he's in your presence. That he's comforted by your touch and your glory. He's free and secure. And may our hearts just overflow with rejoicing when we think about the fact that He is experiencing Your glory and Your light in a way that we just frankly do not know, cannot understand. We're so distanced from that and separated from Your glory. And yet we know that our beloved Father, Mr. Salter, is there experiencing it. Father, help that let that be a healing, healing thought, a healing truth. And Father, we as we come to your word, grant us a full measure of your spirit within our within the body of Christ now, especially as we come to the scriptures wherein you speak to us. That you you give us your very voice so, God, may we not approach this in our flesh, but instead look to your Spirit who can apply this to our hearts. Who can, he can store this up within us. He can preach Christ to us. We pray for that now. In Jesus' name, amen. 1 Samuel 13, verses 8, verses 8 through 14.
he, meaning Saul, waited seven days, the time appointed by Samuel. But Samuel did not come to Gilgal, and the people were scattering from him. I'm sorry, let me just introduce this quickly. Jonathan, Saul's son, has just defeated a garrison of the Philistines. Okay, After this, Saul sounds the trumpets to let all of Israel know that the Philistines have been defeated. Now, he does not specify that his son Jonathan is the one who has overcome this. He has just made mention that the Philistines have been defeated, actually seeking his own glory. And so, the, and so Israel responds by saying, Saul has defeated the Philistines. This word gets out to the Philistines, and the Philistines gather as a full army. Um, they, and they are approaching uh, Gilgal, where Saul is, and they are coming to, to uh, wage war with Israel. And from everything that we can see, the army of the Philistines is about to destroy, slaughter um, the Israelites. They have more men, they're more powerful, um, more weapons, and they are coming that way. And so um, what we can see here is that Samuel has appointed Saul to go and wait seven days for Samuel to come to offer peace offerings and sacrifices to the Lord. That's where we are. So verse 8, I'll read again. He, Saul, waited seven days, the time appointed by Samuel. But Samuel did not come to Gilgal, and the people were scattering from him. So Saul said, Bring the burnt offering here to me and the peace offerings. And he offered the burnt offering. As soon as he had finished offering the burnt offering, behold, Samuel came. And Saul went out to meet him and greet him. And Samuel said, What have you done? And Saul said, When I saw that the people were scattering from me, and that you did not come within the days appointed, and that the Philistines had mustered at Michmash, I said, Now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal, and I have not sought the favor of the Lord. So I forced myself and offered the burnt offering. And Samuel said to Saul, You have done foolishly. You have not kept the command of the Lord your God with which he commanded you. For then the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. But now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. And the Lord has commanded him to be prince over his people. Because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. The word of the Lord. Here's, here's where this is going Here's how this is going to be summarized today through the sermon. That God's provision for us is granted through our faith in Him and never through faith in ourselves. And we're going to see this contrasted in two ways. Through a discontinued kingdom that we see very clearly is taking place here in this text. And then uh, through a forever kingdom. We really love the hero stories. The ones where the single where we can identify the single hero that stands out. And we especially love it when this takes place when there is a turn of events where something unexpected comes in and then the hero has to take this turn of events and figure out how to overcome the odds and the failures of others. And this is these hero stories make it very clear that the hero or the heroine alone deserves all the credit for the outcome. And it's he or she that, it, that gets the glory and the focus and we exalt them. This we love. We are proud when our children learn to do things without our, our help. 
We often refuse the help of others so that we may prove ourselves. So that we can prove ourselves as self-sufficient people, independent people. Authors know how to focus on a central character, history even, as it's told through the eyes of authors and storytellers. It often exalts a key individual while ignoring other key players. And as we make it to this part of this story, the central character in this narrative has shifted. It's gone from Samuel, the prophet and the priest, to Saul, the king. And at this point in time, he has defeated the Ammonites. And Israel is finding their place as a nation of power, one that is making their way out of ruin and coming to a place where the where the people are now excited about where they are, and they stand in awe of their king, King Saul. Then something interesting happens, as I mentioned just a moment ago. As Saul is stationed uh, in Michmash, Jonathan in in Gabeah of Benjamin, his son, is leading an army. And he goes and defeats this garrison of the Philistines. And when he does, Saul gets word and he lets everybody know And everybody hears what Saul is hoping is communicated, that Saul has defeated the Philistines. So the author is wanting us to see that our hero here really struggles with sharing glory. He he even struggles sharing glory with his own son. That's what our author is subtly starting, wanting us, the readers, to see. Another result of this announcement that Saul makes is that the Philistine army plans to respond to what's going on. They they want to respond to this defeat, and they're now pressing in towards Israel. The people were afraid. They began to scatter and hide, and we can see very clearly that Saul is being portrayed. Our mighty hero, this king, is afraid. And this gets us to to verse 8, the part of the text that I read just a moment ago. And it tells us that Samuel had instructed Saul exactly what to do. Wait seven days. Samuel would come to offer offer sacrifices to the Lord as the priest. Now at this point, consider what we're seeing and try to get into this story. Okay, because here's Saul. And you can imagine that he's getting reports. Philistine army, four days away. Messenger comes back. They're three days away. They're two days away. They are within a day. Samuel is not there. And so what does the hero do? The hero does what heroes do. He took matters into his own hands. He plays the role of the the priest here. And keep this in mind. This was the people's king. And this is why the people wanted a human king, because he could understand their fears and he could understand their need for urgency. Saul could act. Israel wanted Saul because it was nerve-wracking waiting on God. It was nerve-wracking waiting on God to part seas at the last second or rain down food from heaven. And therefore, Saul is playing the role of The people's king perfectly right here. He's getting things done. Here's our man and he's pacifying God. He's offering the sacrifice. But then just as it had burned up, Samuel shows. And he says, what have you done? 
what have you done? Now that question may or may not remind you of something, but that question has been asked in Scripture before. And if you look at Genesis 3.13, and if you can, can think about the story of creation and Genesis 1-2, what we get to in chapter 3 is we see that everything goes to ruin. And in Genesis 3.13, just after the fruit of the tree in the garden had been eaten, this is what we read about God's response to Eve. Genesis 3.13 says, Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? If we were to move over just maybe a page or two in our Bible and look at Genesis chapter 4, verse 10, we see that same question again when God asks Cain, just after he had slaughtered his brother, God says to Cain, What have you done? And these accounts have more than just the same question in common. Although that is telling that the same language is used, same form of question is used. But all three of these show us instances where people have taken matters into their own hands. And we are seeing the sin of self-provision through Adam and Eve, through Cain, and now through Saul. And as we read this about Saul, it is very tempting to look at this account. And I'll agree with everybody in here that first reaction is, what is Samuel's deal? He's late. It looked as if he wasn't even coming. The army is approaching. And if you and I are honest with ourselves, if we're there with Saul and if we're part of his advisory team and he says, what should I do? Should I go ahead and offer the offering? We would have probably said, yes, you're the king. This is why we made you king, to get things like this done. But the Bible tells us that this was a tragic mistake. And it makes it clear that Saul's action deserved Samuel's response And it deserved the same question that God gave to Cain when he killed his brother. What have you done? And this was the end of the kingdom. Right there. Kingdom discontinued. Just as it was the end of the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve ate the fruit. And this is to tell us that God is not going to fulfill His promises to the nations of the earth through a king who does not share his heart, through a representative, through a federal head who does not share his heart. He is not going to bless the nations through a king who is not willing to drink the cup of his will. And so we can look at this and we can say this, this small sin, this almost looks like faithfulness. On Saul's part. But the Bible makes it very clear that Saul was unwilling to drink the cup that God had offered him. This is what John Wesley says about what you and I could possibly think about this and many other things. He, and John Wesley is responding to the way that we may try to categorize small sins. This is what he says. This is what he said, of course. There is no such thing as a small sin. Because there is no such thing as a small God. And as we look to see how God is teaching us here, understand this. God provided Saul with an, an enormous opportunity because he gave him Samuel. He did not 
place Saul over Israel without his word, without his prophet right there. And Samuel appointed Saul. He was for Saul and he wanted Saul to be the king that would lead Israel to a place of renewal, even power and even blessing to all the nations. This was Samuel's desire. He wanted to see God's grace be used in such a way that Saul would exercise all of God's promises and power, authority and wisdom. But also Saul was to be a different king than every other king throughout the world. Because Saul was to be a vice king. He was to be under the word of God. And Samuel was the means in which God would communicate to Saul. Samuel was the means in which this vice kingship would be carried out. Saul did not have to guess here. But what we see that happened was that he operated separately from the Word of God. He looked to take matters into his own hands. He ruled God's kingdom in a vacuum at that moment. Now, God may not give you a prophet. And actually, uh, be very wary of someone who says that about themselves. But what God does give us is His Word, and then He gives us His people to speak His Word into our lives. Meaning, God never intends for us to operate in a vacuum or to take matters into our own hands. He provides for you. He provides for us trusted friends. He provides for us elders, pastors, authorities. And this is who should be speaking into our lives, and we need to go to them. And so, as, as, and as we consider that, and as we see that this is not what Saul is doing, we need to be aware of a couple of things. The first thing is this, that's very clear. Beware of ruling our kingdom in a vacuum. In other words, operating as, we, as if we are the wisest person we know. Thinking that we cannot be blinded to things. Thinking that we have all the right information. Thinking that because of what we know, that we will be able to make the best decisions. God is calling us away from operating in a vacuum. And then secondly, we need to beware of seeking counsel from only agreeable people or from only other people that don't understand spiritual authority. Because here's the truth, and this is human fallen nature, fallen human nature, is that we, we truly love to get affirmation from others. We love that, but we're very crafty in how we do it. Because we love to get affirmation from others, from the ones who will tell us what we already want to do. And so we go in that direction. We seek those people out. We love to go to them. We get, and we get in that system. And we really need to be aware of that trap. So how do we move forward from here? And, and so and here's, what, here's what Saul missed. And here's what we often miss. How do we move forward past that? It's to figure out who our Samuels are. Who are the people that God has placed in our life that instead of panicking and taking things into our own hands and being a people of self-provision, who has God put into our life to apply His Word into our hearts? People that come to me for counsel, and sometimes I really think that they're crazy, But people that come to me for counsel have probably figured out by now that I don't have many answers. I really don't. I don't have a lot of answers. 
But the ones who come because of our pastoral relationship generally come back. And it's not because I've given them the next step. It's also not because after they came to me, everything worked out perfectly. But it's because there is an understanding of how God will use something like that. And when I've had to tell people some hard things and then they have come back after that, I realize this is someone who wants to hear from the Lord. This is someone who understands how God longs to apply His Word to people from people that love them. Now, through our church, and this is a blessing, you don't have to settle for me. We have fantastic elders. Not in and of themselves, but because they're in Christ. This includes Kevin. We have extremely wise deacons. We have other men and women here who can be your Samuels. And these are people that I have gone to for counsel and have told me hard things and have been a blessing because of the way that they have spoken God's Word into my life. And this is what God longs for us. Men and women who are committed to applying the Word of God to what's going on with you. He has given us the gift of going to people when we're on the edge of panic. When it looks like we're about to go over a cliff and the only thing left to do is make a rash decision. But He's given us people to go to that can encourage us and that can bear our burdens. Now I want us to also see how the sin of self-provision rears its ugly head. When Samuel says, what have you done? What do we see that Saul does? Or, or what would you have done? Saul begins to explain. He begins to describe what any other person would have done. And it's very clear that he has refused God's way of provision. And this, when Samuel says, what have you done? This is the time to repent. This is it. But he doesn't do it. He reveals why he needed to do what he needed to do. He reveals why he needed to break God's commands at this moment. And this is the primary reason why Saul's kingdom could not continue, because he could not repent. Barry Henning, who is a pastor at New City Fellowship in St. Louis, says this about repentance. This is one of the most powerful statements I've ever heard. He says this, The only thing that can keep you from the kingdom of God is unrepentance. That's it. He says, that's it. Nothing else keeps you from the kingdom of God. Unrepentance is the only thing that separates us from God's kingdom. From from living within the kingdom and then exercising the gifts and the promises of the kingdom. Unrepentance keeps us from that. And that's what kept Saul from the kingdom. That's how it discontinued. So what are some initial response about this passage? Most likely the same as mine. Was it really that bad? Is this really deserving of taking away the kingdom? Was it even wrong? May we understand the danger of unrepentance. The danger of trying to take things into our own hands. So here's where we are. and We really are getting close. Here's where we are. We figured out, don't be like Saul, right? We figured out Saul is not our model. 
but there's still a problem. The kingdom is dismantled, which means this is telling us that Saul is just like you and me. This is telling us here that Saul is just like Adam. And this is also telling us that not even Samuel could keep things together. And therefore, we're faced with a paralyzing truth. When we are honest, we are far too much like Saul. Our kingdoms come first. We have the answers. And our obedience to God is subservient to how it will affect us. And this is why. This is why as we get to the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they make it so very clear that something is given that is different than Saul. The Gospels give us someone that is better than not just Saul, better than Moses, better than David, greater than even the angels. And when this better one, when this Jesus comes onto the scene, he tells us in John 18.36, he says, My kingdom is not of this world, because kingdoms of this world, they come and go, they rise and fall, but my kingdom is not of this world. My kingdom is a forever kingdom that will always stand, and it's at hand. Jesus says, it's at hand. And in this forever kingdom, we have a real hero, but he's different. He's not like one of us. He's not one that panics. Listen to how different this hero is. In Jesus, we have a hero who by his very nature, as the eternal and the self-existent God that he is, he has at his disposal all power to provide everything that he could ever need for himself. But listen to what this hero does. All-powerful hero. He willingly stripped himself of his rights to provide for himself. He became completely dependent on the Father to, prov- to provide for Him. And th- at the very moment when panic should set in, that moment when He began to feel the weight of my sin, your sin, the moment when the blood of the covenant began to appear, as Luke tells us in the Garden of Gethsemane, the blood of the covenant began to appear through His sweat, This is the time to panic, Jesus. This is the time, the time to exercise His heroic power, to crush the Roman guards, to defeat His persecutors. But He's a different hero. He's different than Saul. He, is, he willingly is captured. He's beaten. He's disfigured. And the moment... moment that he needs the Father's mercy the most, disfigured, hanging on the cross, dripping blood, the moment that he needs the Father's mercy the most, God pours out his wrath on our hero. Merciless wrath. Why is this? Because we are like Saul. We are like Adam. We have no ability to look to God. We have no ability to seek repentance. We can't clean it up. So Jesus died. He died so that we may die. And then He lives so that we may live in His kingdom. 
This is a kingdom who has a forever king and he gives us the power to wait on him. He gives us a heart that can now wait, that can withstand the panic, can listen, can look to him. To can, We can now count on his timing. And this is a king who gives us the ability to repent to confess our wrongs, to admit our failings so that we can more and more die in the flesh and more and more live and walk in the Spirit. And this happens when we see Jesus. When we see that when He needed God's, the Father's mercy the most, God was merciless on our hero so that He would be the true hero. See that He was denied mercy. See that He was forsaken so that we can have mercy, so that we can have the presence of God. Do you see that this is a different kind of king? We would never create this king. This is a king that is God. He's forever. Do you see that this is a different kind of kingdom? We could never build this kingdom. We could never remain in this kingdom. But Christ in His mercy, and in His goodness, and in His love for us, invites us in to a forever kingdom. Let's pray. Father, we thank You that this truth, this is never ending. We experience great things all the time, but we know they're temporary. We know that they can slip out of our, out of our hands. We thank You that this truth, the greatest truth, the greatest story, this lasts forever. This, we do not slip out of your hands. Your grip is ever tight in Christ. We thank you. In his strong name we pray. Amen.